So when we'd meet, they, we'd sit in a circle and they would expect me to teach or share or preach, but there's none of that. We just started to facilitate conversation, right? And it yes. took six months, probably around six months, maybe even more for people to really say what they really felt. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that in most churches, maybe 99%, the leaders have no idea what the people are really thinking. And right. even if they say, hey, tell me what you're really thinking, they're not going to because the training has caused people to separate their real feelings, yeah. their real thoughts from a pretense. Welcome to Kingdom Over Everything. I am your host and Chief Fire Igniter, Shea Bynes, and I have with me my brother from New Zealand, Joseph Man. Wilson. What's going on, Joseph? It's so good to be here. I'm so excited. It is, I think you said six, no, 7 a.m. your time right now. 7 a.m. tomorrow for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I was just, I'm just so grateful for your commitment, your early morning commitment to hang out with me today. So I appreciate you so much. Uh, you guys, Joseph, uh, we met, Joseph and I met, I believe about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago. I was a guest yeah. on your podcast. It's called Fuse Life, right? Your podcast is Fuse Life. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And Joseph is a, just an authentic kingdom guy. I mean, he is a coach. He is a mobilizer. He's a real leader in the body of Christ. And so I'm excited to just have a conversation with you because one of the things like I shared with you, the reason why I asked you to have a conversation with me on the podcast is because I noticed in my, uh, my little bit of stalking or how things would show up in my social media feed over the last mm. several months, I noticed that whenever you showed up in my Facebook feed, Joseph, you, um, you were with a group of people, sometimes all men, sometimes all women, sometimes a group of men and women, but you always seem to be surrounded by community. You always seem to be focused on equipping in a kind of a smaller group context. And I could tell that you were operating like, your your life in the body, just kind of living with others in the body of Christ, look to be a little bit different from your standard Sunday morning, go to the big church. So I wanted mm. to talk to you about kind of your journey of walking this out because I've had a journey of my own. And I think that you've been experiencing some really cool things that that both myself and others who are watching and listening would benefit from. So let's go back because I want to talk about a bit of your background, Joseph. And so- yeah. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and just even kind of a bit of your faith walk as well, just kind of coming into life in Christ. Yeah. So firstly, I just want to say thank you for having me on here. It's a massive of course. honor. And uh, I love what you're doing. I love who you are and your journey. And it excites me watching you and tracking you. Right. So thank you for having me here. Absolutely. And I also want to say like the name, Kingdom Over Everything, it says it all, you know, so I love the name just want to put that up thank so, you <laughs> um so i was uh born in a religious kind of household like anglican presbyterian style church in uh, south india in hyderabad and so i always i grew up around sunday school i was always around church things i knew all the stories um, i was taking part in uh what we called vacation bible school i don't know if they do that in america but they do yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm pretending to be David in a play. I was acting as a pastor in this other play, you know, singing songs. And 
So it was always around, but in India you have Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Sikhs, Christians, all living together. Right. And so in the back of your mind, there is this, unless you're specifically taught, there is this, okay, we all just, there's the same God, there's different ways, but it's different roads to the same God, you know? So, right. so, so I'm just enjoying church, enjoying friendship, all that kind of stuff, but as I grow older, I'm seeing things that I don't like. I'm seeing hypocrisy. I'm seeing things that don't make sense. And we moved as a family to New Zealand when I was 11 years old. And so when we came here, the church thing continues. You know, you find another Anglican church here or Presbyterian church here. And uh, by the time I was about 15, I had had enough. And um, I slowly just started to back out, you know. So, uh, so wait, 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 wait. So what was going on that made you feel that way that you're like, I got to get out. Give me a little, oh. give me a little flavor around that. You know, you see, I'd see couples having arguments outside the church and walk in the church gates and then pretend like everything's perfect. You know, I'd see husbands and wives saying all kinds of things outside the building, uh, including in my own family, not just my like nuclear family, but my extended family. And then how they talk about people, what they'd say about people in the church you know, then I found out that this person's having an affair with the pastor's son. And like, you know, it's, yes. there's so many things going on that I was like, it just was weird to me only because there was a pretense of holiness or a pretense of we're doing the right thing, uh, but a whole different reality. Yes. If there was no pretense, I don't know if I'd have a problem, but I was seeing a discrepancy, uh, which I know is normal for humanity, but it just kind of, yeah, it irks me a little bit. Well, understandably. And when I think about the age that you were at that time, uh, at that time, kind of like when you're a kid, you're a teenager, the hypocrisy is so glaring and, you're yeah. so, and there's such a desire for purity of something and consistency, even if you don't have language for it. And so that makes sense to me that that would be super bothersome to you as a teen. Yeah. Okay, so keep going, keep going. Yeah, and and I was really bored, you know, um, as a as <laughs> a young kid. Too. Yeah. So as a young kid, you're doing, you know, plays and dramas and singing, and you're kind of oblivious to a lot of things. So like, you just like that David killed a bear and a lion, and you get to pretend to be David. But once you're 11, 12, 13, 14, it's different. I was going to youth group to meet girls, right, right. and to eat food because we'd have priorities. food at the end. Yeah, priority. So and then they play games, and so. After a while, it just became, well, what else can I do with my Friday night instead of being here, you know? Right. Uh, and I, so to me, I was like, I don't know if God's really that real. And if he is, I don't think he's just in this building. So let me not do this anymore. And all of those things kind of just slowly drifted me away. Yeah. Yeah. So then what was, what was kind of the next shifts for you? So that's when you were young. At what yeah. point did you come into, or did you ever get to a point where you felt like I have a healthy expression and what people would say is like a local, a, a traditional local church body? Did you ever experience that in a really genuine way? So I'm going to church, right? I was doing all those things. And um, I would say around 18, I start to go drinking, clubbing, partying, because uh eventually life just took me there you know i was right. very like i'm not going to touch any alcohol i wouldn't even eat christmas cake because they have rum in it you know? and i don't know i don't know where that came from like that was just in me my whole family would do it i just wouldn't 
But as I got to university, I just started to veer away. And one year into uni, I started drinking, clubbing, partying, all that stuff that I thought was more fun. And uh, when I was about 22, which is 15 years ago now, I got invited to a Pentecostal church. And that was my first time in a Pentecostal church. So I walked in, everyone's dancing and singing. There's no pipe organ. There's no robes. I am like, oh, what's going on here? Is this really a church? And can you be like this in a church? You know, all these things are going on in my head. And right. people are dancing. The lights are kind of dim. The worship leaders look so blissed out in joy that I'm convinced they're popping some kind of pills. You know, <laughs> it, it, it was like, because that the church that church was very like a presence power filled, right? So right. these guys are getting whacked out in the Holy Ghost, and I am worried. And you have and, uh, right, that, you have no grid for any of this at this point. I agree, and I'm convinced something is not right. You know that my friend has invited me to a weird place. Yes, and so I go through that experience. Then the pastor starts praying for some people who graduate out of his uh, leadership course. And they're falling on the floor. And I'm like, this can't be real. Why are they falling? Is he pushing them? Are they pretending? So all these thoughts are going through my head. Is he try? Is this how he tries to get membership? You know, like all this kind of stuff. And then he says, if you want to know whether this power is real, come on, come forward, you know. So I get up because I'm like, let's see this thing. But the guy next to me who drove me there starts freaking out. And he's like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Like he was manifesting if I think back to it now. So I leave because he's my ride, you know, and um, <laughs> the next six weeks, it just felt like hell was opening up doors and pathways and highways for me, like opportunities to party and get drunk and, and sleep with girls and all this stuff just started opening up, you know, and um, so now I'm getting sucked into a vortex at a faster speed than ever before. Wow. And for some reason... This one morning, I slept for a couple of hours after partying all Saturday night. I slept for a few hours, and then I decided to drive to this church that's 40, 45 minutes away from where I live. And I probably shouldn't have been doing that because I was still drunk from the night before, you know. <laughs> a little tipsy from the and, night before. Um, yeah. So I drive into this place the whole time. In my soul, I'm having a war. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is dumb. Why did you come here? And I sit in the back seat. This girl starts singing in tongues and I have this experience where something happens in my body and I sobered up. And that mm. kind of really began a switch for me because when that happened, I started to see God with me my whole life, including the partying time, wow. including all the dumb stuff that I did. And I was puzzled that he was with me during that because at that time my grid was good boy, bad boy, you know? Yes. The so good boy, he's around, bad boy, he leaves you. I don't know where he goes, but apparently he leaves you. And um, so my grid was like, oh, you were there the whole time. Then how are you perceiving me and my life? And um, wow. so as I'm leaving that church, because I'm starting to cry, I don't want people to see me cry. Just out of my heart, out of my spirit, I say to him, if you're really real, show me I'm giving you 30 days, you know. And uh, if I don't see that you're real, I'm never coming back to church again. Wow. And uh, in those 30 days, I went to every meeting. I'm suddenly opening myself up to this possibility that there's a real God, there's a tangible presence. And the biggest thing I think for me was at night, um, I had an iPod back then, you know, iPods that came and went. Yep, with. I remember them. <laughs> uh, so I had this little iPod, iPod Nano, and um, it was for my gym music. And suddenly it's filled with all this like 1990s worship music. Right. And, uh, you know, I got Hillsong blaring in there and, 
every night I would just go to sleep with that. I'd leave my curtains open, look out at, uh, I had a massive window, so I'd look out at the sky and just start talking to the Lord. And I started to feel like he was calling me into a deep love that my mm-hmm. soul didn't feel it deserved. And I, I need to say this part because a lot of people don't understand this. So this whole thing began because of his love. It was his idea. It's his plan. And we get to partake of this amazing, unending power love thing, right? Agape right. love. That's right. And so my soul is warring against that because my programming of you got to be a good boy is rejecting this unconditional love. And I remember having these battles of, come, I love you, son, come. And my soul just go, no, you can't love me. Didn't you see what I did last year? Didn't you see yeah. what I did last week? And at some point, the love just overwhelmed that, you know. And so I begin this journey of walking with God in a real weird way because I'm glad I didn't share this with many people at that time, you know, because I started to involve him in everything. Like, right. what are your thoughts about this? What about uh-huh. this? How do I learn to hear from you? Uh, you know, everything looked beautiful suddenly. Everything looked meaningful suddenly. Yes. And so I'm not telling people that I'm asking God to show me a sign in the sky, right, just right. for me. And um, many nights nothing happened, but then there were nights where things happened in the sky that changed me forever, drastically, that, mm. oh, my gosh, you are so close. Like, I can ask you something and you can respond in real time. Like, that really yes. blew my mind, you know? Wow. That's that's really beautiful. I'm curious when you were having some of this, as you were describing some of this kind of initial encounter that you were having with God, how are you experiencing him? When you were like, was it you were having a vision? Were you seeing something in your, in your, in your mind's eye? Was it just like a sense of feeling like, how were you experiencing God in those early moments? I think it's a combination, right? So in this church, which was an amazing church, I'm watching people get touched by the power of God. There's people sharing healing testimonies. So that's happening. And then for me, I am feeling a tangible, tangible presence uh, when someone prays for me. Or I had this thing happen for about two to three years of my early walk where I would feel like wind blowing just on top of my hair, like a wow. sh- you know? Yeah. And that became my guide. That's how I started making decisions. So I was like, God, <laughs> if you want me to do this thing then you know and i'll just wait and if i didn't feel that i wouldn't go you know it was like the. And was, i'm thinking about the, the the israelites with the pillar by day like the cloud and the and the pillar of you fire go. you're like if i have my wind on my head i'll go <laughs> you are present and i will go with you i just need to feel that wind over my head totally and i'm glad i didn't share that with people too because i think people would have tried to talk me out of a path of my journey that I needed, you know, that's right. Like a child, a child needs different type of attention. A child almost needs illogical connection. Yeah. It look, it's too much dependency, but that's what a child is. That's what a baby is. A baby needs that kind of dependency, you know? Yeah. So I go through this two, three year process and I start to watch how the decisions were amazing or not when I wouldn't listen. Mm. Right. And one of the coolest moments of my life, was one night, so it's probably a year or two in, I'm lying in my bed, I'm listening to Joshua Mills, and Joshua Mills used to have these um, instrumentals. Back then, they weren't that popular, but he had this thing called Throne Room Encounters. And so mm. I'm just closing my eyes, and in my mind's eye, I'm going there, I'm saying things, I'm feeling the presence of God. And then I hear, go pray for your mom, you know. Now, that day, I was supposed to go out with some church guys, and uh, I waited for my 
my wind. <laughs> yes. Right? I'm like, Lord, do you want me to go? And I felt like he was saying, don't go. And logically, I was like, why wouldn't I go hang out with good guys? Like, these guys aren't partying or clubbing. But I stayed home. I was obedient. And um, so I had this moment of go pray for your mom. So I go into her room. And she's making this collage, which actually turned out to be a birthday present for me, which was this amazing book, right? My mom was amazing. And um, I interrupt her just with this. Oh, I feel like God is telling me I should pray for you. And I had no idea how she was going to respond. And for some reason, she's like, okay. So she now, puts it actually, down and gives context, me her hand. So mom was not a follower of Jesus. Well, they all went to church, right? Okay. So they would go to church, but... When I, when this happened to me, I almost became too much for my family. Okay, gotcha, like, They gotcha, were like, okay, okay. this is way too much. Like, Jesus, 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 stop right, right. it. Like, Jesus <laughs> is good on Sunday. Like, yeah. if you want an extra day on Wednesday for home group or something, that's fine. But what are you right. doing here? Like, what do you mean you went to a prayer meeting on Monday night? What, okay. What's so going on with like, you? You're really kind of out there on your walk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one of the, yeah. We can go into more then. But at that time, my family, my dad was actually concerned because I went from partying, clubbing to this other extreme. Right. He didn't believe me. Yeah. So he thought I'm up to something else and I'm trying to mask it with this, right? <laughs> so, you know, at the beginning, everyone says, oh, it's a phase. You will get over it. You will get right. out of it. So they're just kind of waiting for me to get out of this phase. So when I'm praying for my mom, she's just expecting a nice, you know, father, bless my mother. Amen. So I grab her hand and I'm just like, Lord, I thank you for your presence, your power. And I just pray that it will fill this room right now. And I see what looks like a sheet of glass fall in the room, you know. So I'm having this experience going, wow, something's happening in the room. And I open my eyes and my mom, out of the side of her mouth, there is these tongues trying to come out. And she didn't believe in praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, none of that. So she's trying to stop it. And she's just and she's bobbing up and down and I'm tweaking out because I'm watching my mom who doesn't believe in any of this, having an experience with Holy Spirit. Yeah. So I keep praying and I'm like, more Lord, thank you, Lord, all that kind of stuff. And then the tongues just start to come out and then she gets drunk in the Holy Spirit. And my mom's never been drunk on alcohol or any substance before, but she gets drunk in the Holy Spirit so much. So she just starts laughing her head off and she's so loud. That my dad comes upstairs. He's worried. By the time he walks in the room, she's rolling on her bed, which is next <laughs> to the chair. And she's singing Mary Had a Little Lamb and just cracking up. And I don't know if I should laugh, if I should cry. Is this real? Why would my mother fake it? What's going on? You know, and then and my why dad. Is Mary had a little lamb? <laughs> yeah. So that's the innocence of my mom, right? Like it, yeah. I learned a lot about my mom in that time. And but my dad walks in and he's like, what did you do to your mom? I'm like, nothing. I just prayed for her. And um, it was a beautiful moment of just learning how to listen to that voice and walk with God, you know, because yeah. in the long run, that really impacted my family in a really good way. Yeah. And um, so so my family slowly over the next two, three, four years started coming deeper into the things of God because of these kind of things, you know. I love that. And so yeah. that same church that you were in at that time as you were having those experiences, were you kind of growing in your walk and pretty healthy community there, but then there was something that happened that led you out of even that Pentecostal church? Yeah, so I'm learning how to walk with God. That church was amazing. And my first pastor who I still consider like a spiritual father, I 
this guy carried the breaker anointing like no one else I've seen, right? He could walk into a place and crack it open in the spirit. And that's why I, I saw the first demonic experience because he came and spoke at a friend's youth group, my friend's yeah. youth group. And these guys, you know, never experienced the presence of God. And he teaches about the, the presence of God from Genesis all the way into how we are temples and how they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these 30 young kids, like I was a young kid too back then, but all get filled with the presence of God, all fall out under the power of God. And I, I got to watch all of that, you know, and, uh, and this girl manifested a demon. That was my first experience of seeing the demonic. And um, so, so the church was amazing in that sense, presence, power, revival kind of services every Sunday, worship would go for two, three hours. Eventually they had to cut it down because it was like, <laughs> People just getting lost in it. And right. So I'm learning. I'm learning all of this, right? I'm seeing the spirit realm be so real. I'm seeing uh, people getting radically changed by the presence of God, the power of God. That all really helped me. And now looking back, my first five years, especially over there, was like I was learning how to be a priest. I was learning the priestly. I was learning how to operate in the spirit. And so at that time, I was a door-to-door -door salesman. And my pastor would say, Mark 16, you know, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. So I started practicing that in my job. I would sell people oh, cable wow. TV and then I'd lay hands on them. And um, I saw crazy, crazy miracles happening in people's houses, outside their houses. It just all became my Bible college, you know, in that time. But one of the things that was happening there was they would talk about discipleship. They would talk about community relationship. And so I believed it was going on. So when I'd lead someone to the Lord or someone was new, I'd start doing life with them. They'd come to my house. I'd invite them to my birthday, even if I knew them for one day. You know, <laughs> my wife and I at our wedding, like we had 200 people there. Oh and my maybe God. 80. Yeah. And maybe 80 of them were people we were like, hey, we're going to build a relationship with these guys. So we should wow. call them into our life, you know? Wow. So I'm like, okay, this is it. We're doing it as a real family. So an, an affair happens in the church, it blows things open, and suddenly I'm coming face to face with the fact that the leadership has none of this. They have none of this. Like, they don't mind throwing people under the bus. They don't mind saying things that I think were just wrong. And so I come face to face with a total lack of relational equity in this place, you know, right. a depth that, because you can have depth in the spirit but have very shallow intellectual connection and heart connection. Yes. But you're connected only because you do things in the spirit, you know? Yes. And we had some really gifted people. Like even for me, I step into this environment that was cultivated by the leadership then and prophecy is just like a natural byproduct, you know? Yes. People would come in there and start prophesying on day two. And so moving in the gifts, no problem. Understanding heart connection, relationship, there was none of that. So mm. it bred a lot of competition, jealousy, envy, and it kind of blew everything open. And that began my path of, oh, my gosh, what's going on? You know, uh, the affair that happened, it was with someone that was like a hero to me. So that really shook me. And I started to learn that actually you don't look to man like that. Right. Right. So as a baby, I'm looking to man like that. And that happens. It shifts my perspective. And my wife and I go on a four-year crazy journey the only way i could describe it is like a washing machine dry cycle you know we're just tumbling <laughs> through this what's going on you know and in that time i got accused of trying to split the church because uh -oh. people are asking me what's going on yeah because we have relationship outside the building you know i have sway i have some Wait, influence this is while you're still there so you're still, still regularly there. attending but you had relationships yeah. with people because it's relationship you had relationship outside of sunday 
and then you were yeah. being accused of trying to split the church. Am I understanding? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right. So, because people want to ask me questions, I'm doing my best to keep people here because I'm still very much a church system guy. Like sure. I was six days a week, like volunteering, right? Oh so goodness. Monday night prayer meeting, you Tuesday some kind of discipleship. Yeah, I was all in. <laughs> Wednesday home group, Thursday worship practice, Friday youth leading, oh Saturday was our one day to do something, <laughs> which usually went in some form of discipleship. And then right. Sunday was one or two services, you know, so that was my Yeah, you were all, in. You were all and, in, Joseph. Yeah, and, and so that built a lot of capacity for me and my wife, which I think is awesome, but it also did a lot of damage on one side, you know? Yeah. So when all this happens, I'm still a church guy. I'm seeing all this for about a year and a half. Uh, I was like, Lord, do I leave? Is it time to go? And then finally we were released, so we left. And I helped another friend start a church uh, that went for about a year and a half. I was an associate pastor there. But I saw the same pattern, right? Suddenly, I'm the guy who has the connections. He's the guy who sometimes comes, says something, grabs the mic, maybe helps people with some of their problems. Right. But nobody really can know him, you know? Yes. And so I try to bring that up to him. And, uh, you know, I had assumed we had a real deep friendship, but actually – that was when it started to open up for me, like, okay, you're a senior leader and I'm under you. That's how you right. see that. Like, that's the core of our relationship. Yes. Our friendship is icing on that cake. Yes. And to me, that was upside down. And so it was like a six-month tearing process because this guy was the first guy that uh, he invited me to that church. He was the best man at my wedding. He was a mentor to me. Wow. So it felt like a real Abraham lot tearing, you know, for yeah. six months. I'd have random moments where I start grieving this relationship that hasn't fully broken yet. And um, then the time came. We separated from there, and I was totally disillusioned. And I said to the Lord, I don't want anything to do with people. All the problems in my life are because of other believers. So how about my wife and I move to a Baptist church three hours away from where I live, <laughs> and we live a good life on a farm right. somewhere away from people, you know? Yes. Um, but in that time is where I, I had this encounter. I had this encounter with Jesus, and it kind of did something to my heart and my understanding of the body. And he asked me to walk with this group of people. There was about 13 or 14 of them. Walk with them, help them find their runway, and help them fly. Were these people that were that had left the previous church that you that you had left? Yes. And okay. it was the same story, right? They're leaving because we do life together. They don't know that other guy. And right. I try to get them to build a relationship with him. There was no room. There. Yeah. Right. So, so now so he gives I you leave, this assignment now. Now it's like, now I want you yeah. to build relationship. Was was he speaking to you from the perspective of discipling, almost from a leadership perspective? perspective like to disciple this group of people yeah and to walk with them and do like the, what he said to me was help them find their runway and help them fly okay which didn't make sense to me at that time right i'm not right. doing any purpose stuff at that time yes so so i said to him if i do this all the accusations are now proven correct because now it looks like joseph really had this agenda right uh, but yeah he, he that i <laughs> Is he gave me an ultimatum. Is it people's opinion that matters or obedience to me? Right. right? Is it your reputation? Which is more important to you? Yes. So I made the hard choice, you know, and I started gathering with these people and then the rumors began. And I guess for a year, two, maybe three, my reputation just threw the mud. And there was a new understanding of dying to self in that time. Yes. Um, yeah. So 
it was really hard, hard for me, hard for my wife. But in this gathering, like, so we'd meet two, two times a week and then separately we'd meet a lot. We started getting each other's lives a little bit. And, um, so when we'd meet, they, we'd sit in a circle and they would expect me to teach or share or preach, but there was none of that. We just started to facilitate conversation, right? Right. So we're moving from platform thinking to table thinking. Yes. And it took six months, probably around six months, maybe even more for people to really say what they really felt. Mm. You know, and I, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that in most churches, maybe 99%, the leaders have no idea what the people are really thinking. Right. And even if they say, Hey, tell me what you're really thinking. They're not going to because the training has caused people to separate their yeah. real feelings, their real thoughts from a pretense, you know? Yeah. So we and that's a decent amount into. of time, by the way, like the fact that yeah. it took six months for people to move from, I'm not even sure if I should say anything here. I don't even know if it's safe to say anything here, you know, to feel free to engage that way. So that's interesting that it took six months for that to take place. Yeah. And I had people come share their frustrations with me after we'd hang out, you know, like, Hey, why are you allowing this person to speak? I didn't come here to listen to them. They, they don't <laughs> know how to talk properly. You have to say, Pastor Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, when this person shares their bunny trail and they go here and they go there, we don't want to listen to that. And, and so I started to see how much we don't have love for one another, how much we yeah. don't have patience for one another, how much we don't care about the people around us that we supposedly want to do life with. Wow. You know, so... For example, in a natural family, you'd have your grandparents, you got your uncles, your aunties, you got your parents, you got kids, you got cousins. And when auntie's speaking, the kids just are quiet and listen, right? When uncle's speaking, when grandma's speaking, or when people are sharing in a family context, you learn how to zip your mouth. Even if you think their story is going too long or uncle Bob forgets his story halfway through, you sit down and listen and it does something to the family context. You know? Yes. But in a church context, we don't get that opportunity. And so people just pick the, the speakers they want to hear and they, you don't develop the perseverance, the patience. Love can't have its full work in you because you never had to make it have its full work in you yes. in this context. You know? Wow. Okay. So then what were some of the keys? I mean, obviously it took six months, so there was a time element here, but what were some of the keys that, that, when you reflect on it, were helpful in that six months to move people from platform to table kind of engagement? So I started to address all the pretense, the fake stuff that I had seen <laughs> and I had also been a part of. Right? Yes. I started to become vulnerable and transparent on a deeper way. I was already like that, which is why I had these relationships. But suddenly it became a, I really want you to know me see me and hear me, not just yes. hear me, but I, I will give you total freedom to see me good, bad, and ugly. Uh, most leadership does not want to do that. And so they don't actually have like, like now I have people that would take a bullet for me yeah. and I can say that with no blinking, no doubt, but we got to this point, you know, that, so uh, what I mean by this is when this love relationship for one another is allowed to foster. It brings a unity that is so deep. It is beyond just trying to act like we are together. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? We are actually, you get knit, your hearts get knit together. Yeah. So I started to do that for me. And as I did that for me, 
I made room for people to start to do that for them. And then we had people starting to share what they're struggling with, things that nobody knows, things that are good, things that are bad, things that they've carried so much shame over. We had a guy share about his drinking problem, and he was so worried that everyone's going to judge him. He starts sharing, and he starts feeling so much love. He's crying. He never used to cry. And as he's crying, suddenly it just opened up the room to a deeper journey together you know yeah so i think that was a very important element the vulnerability transparency and it began with the one that's facilitating it yes so that's, that's, right. that's so number you, one that became yeah. part of the culture it was the culture within you that then you got yeah. to express and create that environment and that atmosphere for for others to operate yeah. as a body that's so good and yeah. so you walked with that group of about 30 for how long or are you still with them today so it was about 13 between 13 or 14 at that time. And okay. um, the other thing I just want to say in terms of a key was actually understanding that good leaders are facilitators. Yeah. They're not directors, they're not bosses, they don't tell people what to do, they facilitate what's yeah. already happening. You know, So I started practicing facilitating and then people started practicing facilitating with one another and it became this real awesome organic ecosystem. You know. Yes. So that, that happened for about three years. Now, during that time, we'd have people show up. Somehow someone would invite them or they would find out and they'd come. We had so many people come and cry, sit in the group and say, I feel like I'm home. Right? We had started having these weird things, uh, but we knew it was going to be a small thing, not to make it public. It's not, you know, we're not going wide here. We're going deep. Right. And um, when, when this, this whole find your runway and help them fly, I had a feeling it was going to be around three years. And so 2017 to 2020, that was happening a lot. And we did different things. Like we did a community event. We started putting money together to solve any problems that we were seeing. So when when the pandemic hit, we had a whole bunch of money and we were able to feed some families in Phil- Philippines. We fed some families in Pakistan. You know, we're like, we're just these 15 normal people. Yeah. And we're able to change hundreds of lives on the other side of the planet just by pooling our resources together. That's right. We don't have uh, any overheads. We're not paying for a big building. We're not putting money into all. Our money is going into doing something that's yeah. actually directly changing lives, you know? Did that, so also, starting- did that also, by the way, that dynamic, I'm sorry, did that dynamic also happen with one another, kind of the pooling to deal with needs? Did, that, did situations ever come up where it's like, ah, oh, we're coming together for the need of someone in this particular group as well? Yeah, so so we're still maturing as a people into that phase, right? Where we are now looking out for one another, not because Bob told me so, but because my heart actually wants to do this. Yeah. And with or without Bob, I would do this, right? We're yeah. starting to mature into that even as a as a group. And so when 2020 comes, by that time, I told them that at one point, all these people are going to start showing up and I'm prophesying, saying all this stuff. 2020 comes, I launched this online purpose challenge and now suddenly these people show up and we are hundreds of people online. And out of that, it, it translated to maybe 60 to 150 people offline in oh different goodness. regions in the nation. Wait, this yeah, is during so COVID? This is during COVID. <laughs> Right. All these people come online and then I feel the Lord say to me, ask them if they want to meet offline. So I make yes. an invite. We had about 60 people show up in, wow. in Auckland where I live. And then two hours from where I live, one of my clients opened her houses, uh, her house, and it was a lifestyle block. So she had the swimming pool and lots of grass. Yep. So we had about 50 to 60 people meet in that grass. Wow. We baptized nine people in the pool. 
you know, and by, by that time, I've been learning a lot about disciple-making movements that have happened all around the planet. And yes. I trained with some of the guys in Iran that are part of the Sheep Among Wolves movement and what they do over there. I trained with a guy, David Watson, who's from Texas. He wrote a book called um, Courageous Disciple-Making, I think it's called. Okay. Amazing book. So I'm just learning, right? Like Francis Chan's We Are Church and yep. Neil Cole has these life transformation groups. And I'm seeing all these different models and ways people are doing things. But the Lord is constantly saying to me, look at the good, look at what doesn't make sense. And that's not going to work in this country. Yeah. So I'm going through this process of training that I don't understand. And this was all the way from 2017 to come to a point where I'm like, okay, well, what are we doing in my country? Like, what's right. going to work here? You know? So when all these people come, suddenly they all now it's a bigger group and they want me to do something. Yeah. Start something. Say something <laughs> else. What are you doing? Right. So it's a joke show like, now. What are you going to do for us? Like, what are you, yeah. you going to do? Bless yeah. the people, sir. <laughs> you know, I'm very aware when somebody only calls me by some kind of title, whether it's coach Joe or, Pastor Joe, I already know that, okay, this is currently your paradigm of relationship and it can't right. go deeper till we change that framework, you know? Yes. And the ones that would stay at Pastor Joe came and left because I never became that Pastor Joe to them, right? Mm. I'm like, I want to be your brother and I will let you see me. Will you let me see you? And it's actually really scary for people to be vulnerable and some came and some left because this wasn't going the way they would have liked it to go, you know? Yeah. Start a church, Joseph. We could have a few churches. We could, What are you doing? What's the vision? I'm like, the vision is we're going to love one another and see where it goes, you know? That's, That's so not good. a good vision. You need a better vision. And so it became <laughs> this process. And I said to the Lord, like, what are we doing? What are we setting up? And he said to me, give it time. Let their hearts reveal themselves, you know? Mm. And that was really hard for me because I, I'm naturally very impatient. And so since 2017, there's a lot of patience that's had its work, you know, and had to have yes. its work. So I'm like, okay, I'm not doing anything. And I watch people leave and I'm like, Lord, like, we could have done something, but they're gone now. Like as though, you know, God's so worried about it. <laughs> and, um, that my maturing process is happening 2020 while everything's expanding and my online coaching business is growing. There is this family element that I'm like, what do you want to do with this now? You know? Right. So yeah, I mean, it's a long story. I'm doing my best not to make it too crazy. No, no, but, no, um, but that's, I'm, I'm, in, I'm actually really loving this because it's good to have the context, the journey, the things that you're learning and what's happening within you in the process. Yeah. One of the things I'm kind of curious about, though, is I've had this conversation with a friend of mine um, where we talk about community and, and at what point do you lose intimacy and then how do you create, like, you know, all of these things, right? And- you know, I'm curious to know what you've experienced. So when I think about this, even with from a business perspective, but a business perspective, a fellowshipping with other believers perspective, for me, I see when there's a small, there's a small group, let's say 15 people or less, there's this dynamic that happens of intimacy. And I think some people would even be concerned about walking into that space because they're not prepared to be in a group of people that small because you can't hide in that. So you really kind of Kind of have to show you can't really hide in a small group, but you can definitely build great intimacy with one another, deep fellowship relationship. And I wonder at what point, because you've experienced 30, 60, et cetera, or more, at what point does that break and then become a now I have to raise up 
people or like subgroups or, you know, what dynamic needs to happen so that we don't break the culture of, you know, from a leadership perspective, a facilitating leader perspective, you can create an atmosphere of vulnerability and transparency, but it seems at some point that the intimacy aspect might begin to break if that's not replicated in other people who are then also facilitating. So I'm curious to know what you've experienced with that, what you've learned and just kind of your perspectives around that. Yeah, they're definitely a real issue. So I just want to start this answer by saying this, like I by no means have the answer, all the answers. I just know that the way we've done things is not the way it's going to be or should be or supposed to be, right? It's very yeah. easily broken. It's very easily damaged. There's a lot of holes in there. There's a lot of darkness in there. And our enemy loves to dwell in the darkness that can be behind a curtain, even though there's so much light in front of it. Yeah. When we make room to allow darkness to fester, he does good work, you know? So, um, I mean, the enemy does a good work to ruin things. So for me, I was on this pursuit of Lord, what does it look like according to your original intent, right? The book of Acts, because you can read the Bible from a behavior model, from a let's mimic this, let's copy what they're doing. Let's, right. they went from house to house or we go from house to house right. without ever understanding the heart motive. I can read the same scriptures without any love and try and produce a behavior to prove that I have love. But I think God's intention was the other way around. Let love have its work in you and the behavior is a byproduct. It's easy, you know? So for me, that when was a all these sermon, people started, by the way. That was, that was a miniature sermon that you just did there, but go ahead. <laughs> so by the time these people come, I start to see that if, if this continues, I am going to become the guy. Yeah. And I almost felt like the Lord was giving me this option. Do you want to be the guy? You can go be the guy. But if you go be the guy, this thing begins and ends with you. Now, you may name it something and it may have some sort of legacy, but it'll still be you. Or do you want to allow the fullness to have its work? Yes. And that was a, a hard choice for impatient Joseph. You know, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe Joseph wasn't trying to build his own empire, but he was still impatient because it's much easier to build something that it's perceived as successful, but in which realm for how long, you know? Yes. So, so I'm pulling back and then I have this moment where I feel the Lord say to me, see these guys here who have proven themselves, like their hearts have revealed themselves that they actually want connection. I want you to make covenant with them. So I'm yeah. like, oh, what is, and this was at a time where I was feeling like I'm wasting my time. What's even happening? We put so many years into this. I can't show anything. You know, people would ask me, how's this going? How's I'm like, I don't know. We're, we're still hanging out if that's what you're meaning, <laughs> you know, but, um, so then we have this moment where we meet in one of the houses and, um, I feel the Lord tell me to wash their feet, you know? So I say to them, Hey, tonight I'm, I just want you to know I'm making covenant with you. My wife's looking after our kids, but she's joining us on a video call because she needs to be here because I believe it's a very sacred moment, you know? So I don't know what you're going to choose or what you want after this, but I am putting an invitation out to go deeper with you if you are willing to. And so I start watching these guys feet and there's crying, there's tears, there's stories of church hurt and wounds that they haven't shared before. And one guy is so scared to sit on the chair because the last guy he, he kind of walked deeper with cut him so bad, you know, and we're all crying and we're having this amazing moment. And that really shifted something in the spirits for all of us where we were like, okay, we're crossing this line now. Yeah. And so these guys became a focus to me. I started spending a bit more time having more conversation and talking about life. 
uh, you know, we went to a different level with this this core group. A core group. And um, yeah, the core group. And during that time, I'm starting to understand the organic nature of family, right? So in the natural, which is a type and shadow of the spirit, in the natural, you are a baby, you need super attention, you grow up into this healthy adult if you had a healthy family, and then eventually, you don't think it's weird at all to have your own family. Right. And I'm starting to see that in the spiritual, it should have been the same. Mm -hmm. Why is it not? Mm -hmm. Right. For my children right now, I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a, a three-year-old who will be four soon. And for all of them, they're watching family demonstrated so well that they have a desire to have their own family. And at some point, they are going to move into that. So why don't we have that in the spiritual? And then I get led to 1 John chapter 2. And in yeah. this, John, who is the apostle of love, right? And without love, you have nothing. John writes about these three phases of maturity. And he's like, I write to you, uh, dear children. I write to you, young people. I write to you, fathers and mothers. So I'm like, okay, what's he saying about the children? What makes you a child? What makes you a young person? And what makes you a father and a mother? And when I look there, I write to you, dear children, because you know your sins have been forgiven. And for his namesake, and you know the father. And so I start to see, okay, a child, to be a child in the kingdom, you understand there is no condemnation because right. everything has been paid for. And you know Papa. You know how he talks. You know his smell. You know his ways. You know him. It's a free abandonment, right? Like a, like a young baby. Yeah. And then I start to see most of the body of Christ doesn't have that. They go through condemnation cycles regularly. Like, oh, yes. I made a mistake. Okay, I need four days of my own penance. On the fifth day, I'll listen to worship, and then I feel better because suddenly God came closer to me, like as if yes. he withdrew. Yes. And so when you don't have the basics of a child sorted, the rest of your life is going to be chaos because you're going to perform for a love that you didn't realize came for free. Right. So if we look in the natural, the first 1,000 days of a child's existence are the most important days because it forms 85% of its world's view in that time. So when a baby is born, what does a baby do? Right. We brought Adele home. She couldn't do anything. All she could do was, <laughs> and it became mom and dad's job to solve every problem. Yeah. She couldn't communicate. She couldn't say the right thing. She couldn't indicate. And so when a baby's crying, it could be a burp. It could be feeding. It could be scared. It could be cold. It could be 20 different things. And it became the parent's job to figure that out. Yes. And so one of the things I noticed is that we brought her home and she'd have a problem and she'd cry. And then mama would show up and start solving the problem and she'd still be crying. Yes. Mama would finish solving the problem and she'd still be crying. <laughs> and then eventually the cry stops. But about three to six months in, there is a wah, wah. Mama comes, starts solving the problem and the crying stops. Few more months later, wah, wah, I noticed mama in the room and the crying stopped. Mm. A few months later, wah, stopped. I don't even have to see mama come in the room because I know she is coming. And I don't know this because somebody told me I know this through experience. Right? Yes. And so this baby is learning a rest. I am resting in my mama. And I didn't learn this risk. I have come into this risk yes, yes. from just weighing like a crazy baby. You know? <laughs> just being, just being just who you being. are. Yes. And most believers today, they get saved and they get thrust into adulthood with no understanding of where. And so now performance is everything, right? There's this experiment of the still-faced baby. 
Uh, I studied psychology at university yeah. with sports science, and uh, my mom was a psychologist. My wife studied psychology. My sister was a psychologist. So we have a little bit of psycho stuff going on there. <laughs> and um, this experiment was really interesting with a baby where they got this baby to sit down. Mom comes in the room, and mom is not responding to baby at all. And now baby sees mom is, is used to their normal interaction and spends about 20 to 30 seconds being normal and realizes that mom's not responding. Mom's just sitting there looking at me. So now the baby's like getting a little worked up and is pointing here, pointing there, just like, maybe I can get mom's attention. What can I do to get mom's attention? Mom's not responding. Another 20, 30 seconds and now baby's really flustered and now begins the real performance out of fear, out of yeah. anxiety. Mom, right? And then finally, obviously, they stopped the experiment. But so many believers' lives are like that. Where we're like, mm. we pray, we worship, we go to church, but we're doing all of this from a, will you be there for me? Can you hear me? Can And so rest is not an option there, and it breeds a lot of insecurity when you don't have that rest, you know. Which completely uh, is detrimental to your ability to do family from a kingdom yep. A, a true kingdom family with your brothers and sisters and the body because that's your experience. Yeah. And so you, instead of learning, you belong because you are chosen. Yes. You now have to find out why you belong. Yes. And in most church circles, you belong because of your gifting, your leadership, your ability to do something that furthers that vision. Yes. Not because of you. Right. Right. And this is how we end up with 10 to 20% of people doing all the work and 80% consume. We have created that pattern. That's so you true. Know, we've, we've enabled that. So then what happened with this core? You know, you say, all right, I'm entering into covenant relationship with you. Going to go deeper. Let's walk this thing out together at another level. Now what happened? I don't know what, I don't know where we are in year with, if this was in 2020 or if this was just like last year or, or what, but what was on the other side of that? This is about a year and a half, year and a half ago. And, um, uh, it was hard in the sense cause some others in the wider group could see that I'm going deeper with these guys now right. and, and their own stuff is flaring up, you know, why yeah. am I not good enough? And I'm, uh, I had to have a lot of deep conversations with those that wanted to. And, and there were many that didn't want to, that had an issue with me and talked about with other people didn't come to me, right? Because I'd be more than happy to walk them through this, what's going on. Yeah. And so I'm having to deal with that too, right? Like, okay, I'm going to be misunderstood, even though I am doing my best to build something healthy, you know? Yes. Uh, but I just want to say something here in terms of what John talks about. Yeah. What happens when you don't do the, I write to you, dear children, right. is that when you go to the, I write to you young people, he says, I write to you young people because you are strong, mm -hmm. you know the word, and you have overcome the evil one, right? So now there is this taking territory, you're growing into being able to do stuff. And so what happens in most churches is we skip the baby phase, we go straight into the, you better know the word and overcome the evil one. And so now the performers rise to the occasion. Yeah, and I, I was a great performer. My goal in the first year of being saved was I'm going to be rookie of the year. Do you know, <laughs> like that was my thinking. I am like, oh man, I am in this thing. I'm going to be rookie of the year. And I said that to my mentor and he had a good laugh. That and is now hilarious. Back, I'm like, that's hilarious. Yeah. It is but hilarious. At that time, at that time, and I'm like. And you were doing six days a week too, man. So you, I mean, like you were, all, you were all the way in, man. I'm like performance central, you know, like let's go. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is when you 
when you're starved for love and then you find a place that will give you a little bit of love, you start working to keep that because you don't want to lose that, you know? Yeah. And so I was going through this phase of, okay, am I working for this? Am I not? And it, lucky I didn't tip over too much, right? But that was there. The performer was there in me. And so you imagine now in a church where let's say I'm the leader and there's 100 or 200 people there and I skip the baby phase. I don't understand rest. And, and I'm there because I'm the leader. I, right. I have these leadership qualities. I'm very prophetic, right? And I'm the guy that prophesies and leads people into the stuff. And now Bob joins the church. Bob gets radically saved. And, and, and after two weeks, I'm seeing Bob being so accurate with his prophecy. And now I'm like, how can Bob be so accurate? I'm the prophetic guy here. He and just got I'm here. Starting to know, and I'm getting worried because I'm like, I ha only have this chair with these people. Cause I'm the prophetic guy. If Bob now becomes a prophetic guy, I'm going to lose my chair in this family and I can't allow that to happen. And so now I start to sabotage things to control, manipulate things so that Bob never comes into this. Cause I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my seat. Cause I don't know that I have a seat cause God gave it to me, not yes. because of my prophetic gift, you know? And so you start to see these dynamics in most church leadership. And uh, the way you will know whether someone has that rest or not is in a conversation on a table not on a sermon and a platform, right. right? That's right. Not even miracles, not even a revival service, right? Because I've seen people who do amazing things on platform and then get off and there's been some crazy things happen off the platform, you know? Facts. I mean, we're, 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 that just continuously gets exposed, right? I mean, we just, yeah. we see, we see a new story about that on the regular. So it's interesting because as you're laying out these dynamics of what tends to happen in, in church culture, all of that then gets magnified when you're leading a small group of people where you're creating an atmosphere of vulnerability and transparency and all of those things. But knowing that these dynamics are what create like these various relational strongholds and engagement strongholds, community strongholds to then be able to function, you know? So it's almost like I heard you talk about this baby stage. So I guess your focus, this is an assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're having to spend a bit of time as a facilitator getting people comfortable in their childlike stage of faith and dynamic of relationship with God that then sets that foundation. That's why I say intimacy with God is everything. Intimacy is everything that creates that solid identity that creates the ability to move beyond the traditions of the church or those various things that tend to create uh, walls and structures versus, you know, a table that's flat and open and, you know, provides this type of exchange. Yeah. Yep. And so I had to, there's so much in what you said there, right? Even with intimacy, um, if I'm developing intimacy with God, so into me, see, I'm letting God see into me, but then intimacy with God, I'm also seeing into him. And that's automatically going to cause me to see into others that's and right. let others see into me. That's it, right. it cannot not happen, you know? So once that starts happening, for me, what happened was I started to recognize the maturity where people were really at and then be okay with that. It wasn't my job to try and get people to behave and act in a way that's more mature than what they really are. Come and on. I think that actually gets a lot of believers in trouble. That my three-year-old upstairs is just happy being three. She's not crying about not being 20 or 30, even though sometimes she says she wished she was older so she could eat more chocolate or whatever <laughs> when she wanted. You know, but 
for the majority, she's just happy being a three-year-old. She will break something in the corner of the room and run across and ask me for a cookie. She has no worry being three. And so in church culture, we've robbed people of that. So what's ha actually had to happen is I've actually had to walk people to a place where it can be like, hey, just be yourself. What is yourself? And they'll pretend. And it's like, no, no, relax. And they'll pretend. And eventually they drop their guard little by little to see if I drop my guard, are you going to leave me? Yeah. When I make a mistake, are you going to run away? And if I do something that's perceived as wrong, how are you going to respond as a father? You know, and fathers never leave. I want to share with you a quick story. So yeah. there was a youth uh, in, when I was a youth pastor, there was a girl that came in there. She was 13 years old and her dad had passed away when she was 12. And so we'd just been journeying together to some extent and it got deeper and deeper. And she started working for my fitness uh, company she became a personal trainer. It was almost like we were parenting her, me and my wife. And suddenly one day she's kind of backing off and disappearing. And uh, she won't mind she, me telling you this, by the way, because it's become an amazing story. But she backed off and there was a guy in the picture, right? And we don't know. I don't know. And then I find out, okay, she's backing off and kind of pulling away from life, pulling away from everything because of a guy. And that really hurt. It really hurt me, right? Because I'm like, oh, this can end up really bad for her. Right. But the whole time I would feel the Lord ask me, uh, what would a father do? What would a father do, Joseph? And so in my heart, I'm like, well, let her go do her thing. Let her get in trouble. And when she's in trouble, if she comes back, my door is open. That's loving, right? That's great. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. But this, this question would just keep haunting me. What would a father do? What would I do? And so I had to stay pursuing at this point where I normally would have backed off yep. pursuing the connection, even if it was going to turn really bad, you know? Yeah. So during this time, the guy she is with ends up coming to meet me and he's only meeting me because he knows that she really values me and he's trying to win some points over, you know? Right. So I meet this guy and I'm like, man, this guy's like a dodgy guy, whatever. And uh, we begin a journey. But the question, what would the father do? is the question I want to leave with people, right? What would the father do in all your interactions? And so that caused me to do things and go places I wouldn't have gone on my yes. own. And I stepped into a different grace at that time. And uh, long story short, he ends up getting saved. They end up, you know, not going down this crazy path. Then they got married and I walked her down the aisle oh, and I was wow. the best man in the same wedding, you know? That's it was like, an ultimate okay. kick, kick in the pants to the devil because that came to ruin so many relationships but it ended up bringing everyone together even more, you know? I love that. I love that. And I love how, how you were consistently getting that question of what, what would a father do? And so I think about that when you were talking about kind of how you lead people and meet people where they are, right? Where, how you're meeting people where they are. And it's like, we talked about leadership and it's like leadership being a facilitator, but also representing the heart of the father. So if you're going to facilitate community and, you know, having the heart of the father and moving with people from that lens, one helps them to grow in that, that childlike nature so that they can just be themselves. Right. And it's, it's just beautiful. I love it. Okay. So let me actually, this one thing before <laughs> I let you go. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I just want to kind of bring this all together. Yeah. Right? So where I have landed is that I was going to ask you that. These, okay, yeah, these groups, if they are formed as family, then organically children become young people, become fathers, mothers, and have children of their own. 
And that's just going to be unstoppable, just yeah. like in the natural. And it will be normal in the body of Christ to see everybody raise up to then become a parent, right? Because what happens when you're a child, you grow into a young person and then you learn how to have intimacy with a woman or a woman learns how to have intimacy with a man and that produces a child. And so we expect production of a young person in intimacy when someone is a baby. Yes. And I think that's super unhealthy. You know, so yes. if we if we think about the natural and the spiritual, as someone is growing, they organically get in covenant with Jesus in a deeper way. At some point, they cross a line, they get married, and that will always result in fruit. It will always result in children being birthed, you know. So I started to look for people that I was like, oh, you've already been through the fire. You've already grown up a little bit. You are a young person. You're not pretending to be one. And here is the track record. So let me go deep with you. Let's walk into fathering and mothering so that you can look after all these babies that are around. And so now we have these groups and within the groups, there are certain people that I'm like, oh, you're like a parent here. So let's carry on this conversation of what it means to be a good parent who raises children who then become parents of their own. Yeah. And that's where I've landed. And it's slow. It takes time. It takes <laughs> uh, effort. It takes resources. Faith and it takes patience. Energy. Faith and patience. <laughs> The power yeah. twins. Yeah. But at some point, when this tips over, it is going to be unstoppable. Yes. And uh, that's that's kind of where we are at right now. So a lot of people have had visions of house fires and little pockets of fire showing up all over the planet. Totally agree. But that's not going to be a house church the way we know it. I yes. believe it's going to be organic family, you know. And Dub Alexander loves to say the kingdom of God is family by nature, governmental and structure. I believe when the family nature is solidified, leaders will automatically emerge. The governmental jurisdiction will just emerge yes. and people will fulfill their role, their function without needing any title. They'll be too busy getting it done. You know, just like I'm the father of this house. I don't need anybody to recognize that. I've been doing fathering for eight years and will continue to do. Yes. And, and it's, it's a natural byproduct, you know, and I feel like that's kind of the direction we might be moving into. I love that. You exactly answered how I would have, what I was, where I was going to head to close this. That was absolutely beautiful. And I love that. And by the way, we had Dub, we, we had Dub on the show talking about uh, Kingdom Dominion and it was super, super rich. I love that. Okay. Okay. So Joseph, first of all, thank you for sharing all of this. I love this. I took, I took some notes. I was taking some notes in my heart from some of the things that you were sharing. It was so good. Uh, I want people that want to connect with you to know where to go. So first of all, by the way, and before you do that, tell people what you do in business so they know that part of you too, and then tell, tell people how they can connect. Sure. So this whole journey was about purpose. It became about purpose from 2017 onwards, right? What's the original intent? These were my questions. And so I started going deep on the purpose of the nano, the micro, and the macro. So the individual, the small groups, and then the wider body of Christ. And so I'm doing two things. We're doing these small groups while walking with the individuals who are growing into fathering. But then my coaching stuff is around engaging your personal assignment, your God-given assignment for this season. The simplicity of walking in your purpose and how purpose is made up of a whole bunch of assignments. And it's as simple as recognizing your current assignment and engaging that, whatever that looks like for you, you know? So currently I'm working a lot with business people. I had uh, some good interactions with a politician. I'm starting to move into a new space of uh, what does it look like to be aligned with the kingdom as a son 
in leadership yeah, yeah with impact and influence so i love that. yeah you can connect with me on uh, iamjosephwilson.com or just find me on facebook joseph wilson easy I love it. I am Joseph Wilson.com. I am Joseph Wilson.com. <laughs> That's yeah. so simple enough. Joseph, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. I hope I didn't waffle too much. <laughs> Actually, this was really good. Okay. So yeah. you were talking to me, Joseph, about the wind kind of over your mm. head and that dynamic that you're experiencing in God and, and kind of how that shifted. So I want to hear this story. So some people are going to think this is weird, right? But at different phases of my life, I've had different things. And I know other people that have too. Like I'd have this wind on my head and I'd use that to confirm my decisions. You know, that was how God would speak to me. But I have times where there's heat on, on my ankles or heat on my hands, uh, different things like that. And so at the beginning, as a baby, baby believer, the way that I made all my decisions was with this wind, right? I'd feel like a on my hair. The first time it happened, I was tripping out because I thought my uh, my friends were playing with my hair. And then I turn around and no one's got their hand close to me, you know? So that was going on for years and it was beautiful. I made some great decisions. I ignored some of that and made some bad decisions. Uh, but two and a half years in, roughly around then, it stopped. And... I started to freak out and worry about why it stopped. Did I do something wrong? Am I not praying enough? Am I not reading enough? You know, all these, this, this weird training that we have subconsciously of how we're going to earn something with God. I started to worry about that uh, for a week or two. And one day I was sitting in the car and I'm talking to the Lord about this. And then I just feel him say to me, you have outgrown it. You have outgrown it. You don't need it anymore because now you know me beyond your hair, deeper into your heart. <laughs> yes. And I remember when he said that, I wasn't happy. <laughs> I'm like, well, that sounds great, but this is now I'm unsure. Do I really know you like that? And I had to start growing and maturing now in a knowing that was deeper than that. And so I went through a few years of not needing that anymore, learning how to go with the knowing in my heart. And then some of these things came back. But now they didn't come as a crutch. They didn't come as yeah. something I needed. They were there just as additional assistance. You know, he'd get yeah. my attention with some of these things, uh, but I had to mature out of needing it and that being the only way I functioned. That's so, so wild because I have a story so similar to that. When okay. Kingdom Driven Entrepreneur started in 2012, and I mean, it, I mean, I was really just learning how to walk with God just a handful of months prior to us starting. I mean, it was just kind of crazy. And so I was learning how to, to operate in obedience when things didn't even make sense to me. So as opposed, cause I used to be a control freak and also I need to know all the things before I would do the things and all of that. And so he was breaking that in me and I was just growing in trust. And so I was learning how he spoke to me and what his voice sounds like, like how he engages with me. And we were getting, both me and my co-founder, Antonina, we were getting instructions like all the time. Like we would have no vision beyond like a week and he would give us instruction what to do, what to do this week, what to do today, what to do tomorrow. And it's like, I walked that thing out with him for probably two it was between two and two and a half years where literally we would get an instruction just about, about everything. And then I would be able to say, oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm going to do that. And then I would be, see the confirmation. Oh, look, I follow God and that worked out really great. Or, oh, I was a little nervous about that. And I didn't quite do that the way God spoke to me about it. And here's what happened. And then about two years or two and a half years, 
all of a sudden we were getting no instruction. Like we were the most praying folks, Joseph. And it was like, we were like, the Lord would tell us both the same thing. And we would just kind of go back and forth. And I went into this place. This was shortly now after my co-founder, you know, the Lord says, my co-founder, you've done your part. Like I've got something else for you. So now I'm sitting here and I'm like, Lord, why aren't you giving me instructions anymore? And I would say, I used to have this thing where I'd say, what we doing, Jesus? What we doing, Jesus? And it was like, when we have this exchange. So I was sitting here and going, what we doing, Jesus? What we doing, Jesus? And I would hear like, what we doing? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm just hearing myself repeating myself back and forth. And then after about two weeks of what felt like radio silence, I realized it was a question being posed back to me. What mm. are we doing? I heard a different inflection. And I was like, Lord, I just wanted wow. you, I wanted you to tell me what we were doing. Like what happened? Like, why are, why are you not giving me instructions anymore? And he said, because you have my heart. What are we doing? And from that wow. place, it was such a um, learning how to grow and just that friendship with him and just trusting that knowing that I have in my spirit with him, I was literally experiencing the same exact thing that you did. I just didn't have wind over my head, but wow. it was just like, the, it, it was like that. If it was a crutch for me to get explicit instructions to like very detailed instructions, like when mm. Noah's saying, you know, you're getting the design by this cubic, by this cubic, yeah. like that level of instruction and to not have that yeah. anymore. And I'm thinking I'm going to miss something. Am I going to miss out? And it's just like, no, I'm still here. Let's go. So mm. I love that. I love that you, I love that you shared that and that you experienced that. Um, I love that. So I'm curious. So how many years ago? That was many, many years ago, right? When you experienced that? Yeah. So 2008, I could say for about two, yeah. two and a half years, that's happening. So till yeah. about 2011. Yeah. Then the season of none of that happening for right. three, four years. And then, yeah, began again in different ways. Yeah. So, and so now when you are, you know, you're in the midst of transition, like I have been over the last, you know, couple of years. And so are you, how are you navigating these transition spaces of like, Lord, you're calling me into some new territory and there's no wind, there's no wind going on over my head right now. So how are you navigating it now, Joseph? Well, uh, you know, Hebrews has that scripture about building according to the blueprint that you were shown on the mountain. Uh, I like that's the instruction that God gave Moses and that is something that I've been dwelling on is that oh, what does this look like when I sit on, on the mountain, so to speak, like spiritually, when I'm sitting with the Lord and I'm co-creating with him. Uh, what does this look like where I'm not just wanting him to tell me what to do, but I'm mapping out, drawing what I like, what the desires he's put in me. Yes. But then allowing him to mold it at the same time. And we both are building like I would with my wife, you know. Yes. Uh, but it's very challenging to go in that space because there is still a level of, mm, really, you know. And um, I guess I'm maturing. I'm maturing out of that into deeper, deeper territory, you know. Same, same, Joseph, same. <laughs> because, it, because even when you go, you know, so with me, even though I've like walked that out, for many years, not as many as you, that for me, because really for me, that really started in 2014. Um, even still, with each new expansion or elevation, there is a, there's a whole new dynamic of things 
that then you're like, okay, I know I'm not in the same space that I was last time that I had to feel this discomfort, but there's some similar feelings around it that then you're like, God, what are you, what are you working out in me? Like what is having to like die right now? <laughs> That's different from the last time. Cause I'm not the same. I'm different than then I'm different from last year, but yet there's mm. still some of that feeling. It's like, what are you cultivating in me right now? So that I can then walk that out. Cause it's not the same. It's just, it's, it's different, but it sometimes it's has these very similar tendencies. So I understand what you're walking through. <laughs> Joseph. I yeah. Really yeah. And um, I'd like to say this, the, a lot of people, when they're in the transitional phase, it could feel like a, a slack tide. You know, you've got the tide going out, you've got the tide coming in, but the slack tide is where it's not going out, it's not coming in. What's happening? You know, and um, in that time, you get to know him and you yes. get to know you yes. in a way that you can't while riding a wave or getting back on the ocean, preparing for a wave. There is a different type of intimacy that is developed in that time, you know? Yes. And um, yeah, when we learn to make time for that, I think it's quite powerful. But. That's so good. Well, listen, I'm excited for uh, what's coming up for you. And I'll be praying for you and with you. And I just appreciate you sharing that because that's just oh. super goodness. Thank you so much. And I'm excited for you too, obviously. And we have a journey to go together, I think, in some capacity. So I'm excited about that. And yeah. So we get to explore what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Appreciate cool. you, Joseph.